0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Please be seated. There's a blessed moment on good mornings when I stand back there ready to come up here and realize I surely do not do this of my own will. (laughs) Let's pray that that moment sustains itself for at least a few moments more as I plow on. We have reading about healing today in the gospel, reading about waiting from the prophet Isaiah. The gospel seems active in the extreme. It surely requires supernatural strength or at least supernatural faith to pull off the kind of miracles that Jesus did. Fixing people's physical and spiritual afflictions, casting out demons, restoring them to health, That sounds like heavy lifting. Be bold, confront, challenge, activity. The prophet, however, bids us lay low, wait, attend, listen. The Hebrew chava means both expect and endure, almost in equal measure, equal tendency. That phrase was translated by the King James, waiting on the Lord, It's now waiting for. Modern translation is more precise. The old one still brings something up of the meaning of the text. If you like, we are called then to attend, to wait as servants to see where and to what our Lord is going to direct us. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Receptivity, in other words, if not passivity. Don't run ahead. Show your faith in patience. A servant listens and then acts. Obedience, and perfect obedience, that moving target which is always on the horizon and never Never reached is predicated upon perfect listening, that practice which never remains in the present for very long. As we turn these ideas over, it emerges that they may be related as cause and effect. Listen well, and you will act well. Hear what is being said to you, and you shall have God's strength with you when you take it on and out into the world. Okay, but we're agreed that it starts With listening. Everything starts with listening. Better with attending, paying attention, waiting upon the Lord, just as a good waiter, not some unemployed actor trying to save his face for that big break, is there precisely when needed, neither self consciously hovering or unconscious, unheeding, unaware of one's needs. Good. So, how do we attend? Where is God speaking if we are now hearing? In the word? Good. Spend time in the word. But we must spend time in real time, too, in real life. And life in the fast lane for so many of us does not stop and allow us to thumb through the word as if it were a reference work to be consulted when and where necessary, a resource with a big concordance to guide us from any problem to its solution. No, the word is not quite so simple as that. And we're after something else then, something as that great evangelical church of England bishop once said, something even more important than reading God's word. See Ryle, Bishop Ryle said, and I quote, prayer is the most important subject in practical religion. This is God's word man. This is the evangelical bishop, the omnibus bishop, Bishop Ryle. And he says, and I quote, prayer is the most important subject in practical religion. All other subjects are second to it, reading the Bible, keeping the Sabbath, Hearing sermons, attending public worship, going to the Lord's table, all these are very weighty matters, but none of them are so important as prayer. End quote. Fine and good. And if you or I were to look at our prayer life, how we, would we define when we are praying and when we are not? Usually, if we're not praying out of a book, something we encourage... We consider that we are praying when we are peppering the divine with a series of petitions. Lord, I want this. Lord, please give me this. Lord, please do that even for someone else as long as you do what I am asking you. Petitions. Talking, in other words, to God about what you want done by him. Now, that is not as bad as it sounds. It is, after all, a conversation of sorts. But who is doing all the talking? So imagine, if you please, the other half of that conversation. What do you hear? What do I hear? Silence. Is that all? Well, you listen in. You listen into the silence. That's hard. Wouldn't I be better to fill in the silence, maybe even with a few psalms? No. God has something to say to you To all of us, at any moment, at every moment, potentially. He uses many means to say it. And yes, it might even be through someone else that he speaks to us, through something someone says or does, through something that just happens. But to hear the answer, if you like, we have to have the question in mind. If we're looking for God to say something, our soul has to be already turned expectantly listening for the answer. And this listening, the listening that leans into silence and sustains that leaning in that abides and perseveres, this is what is called contemplative prayer. Nothing more and nothing less. It starts in silence and it ends at a time of God's own choosing in a summons. Maybe not a word from the Lord in the sense that we hear a speech an auditory message in English. From his lips to our ears, maybe not even what he puts into our heads, a fully formed grammatically perfect sentence that just pops into our mind. No, that happens. But what I have in mind is heard even deeper in the heart and in the soul. And it may simply be a sense that something or someone is urgent is important, matters. Something has to be done. Someone has to be heard or spoken of or spoken to or attended to. There is a mustness, a necessity, an imperative to it. And it starts in our heart. I have a kind of theory of knowledge which is very simple. It maybe starts from the idea of Plato's cave, but instead of the cave, we're in a dark at the bottom of a canyon, the sun is out in the sky, and we're looking into this very deep pool of water, into a deep and dark pond. The sun suddenly strikes. It scatters its image all over the surface of the water, and the waves are stilled suddenly. And we look through, and we see a glint coming up, gold at the bottom of that pool. That's all. It's an image. We can say that we are responding to the word in different ways. The image reflects the sun on the surface, but it's always being broken. And as it's broken, it hides something else that is part of our nature, maybe even a mirror that reflects the image of God back through the water. Well, brood on that. But having said that, it is as if God draws a big yellow highlighter mark against something that is written in our heart and says, Do this. This matters. Something must happen here. So when I hear this text, which is our collect for today, Almighty God, who alone can bring order to the unruly wills and passions of sinful humanity, calming down the surface of that pool, Give your people grace so to love what you command and to desire what you promise. This is a tremendously important collect. It's not by Cranmer. It goes back to the so-called sacramentary of Gelasius, which is nominally in the 6th, 7th century. But it's a huge thing what it's saying. Give your people grace so to love what you command. It's reaching through what we call to the will, not stirring the will. It's reaching right into the heart where all our desires are formed and saying, change that, God, so that what I want is what you want. It is a radical petition. Let me desire what you are promising, what is not here yet, what I am enduring the present in expectation of. The future, which is even now breaking in. That's our collect for today. It's a good one to memorize. It takes us to the heart of the problem of listening. Now, to do what we are commanded, love God and love our neighbor, and that's all that is commanded, by the way, we must want to do it. And for that, as the collect says, we need grace. Why do we say, Amen, Lord, have mercy, when we recite that? Because we know right away Something in our heart is hardening and saying no as soon as we recite that together. No way. Can't do. Don't ask me. Move on. To do what we are commanded, we must want to do it. And for that, we need grace. Give your people grace so to love what you command. And how do we get grace? We turn to our catechism, which you can do at your leisure. We come to the Lord's Prayer. And our catechism says this, and I quote, Please understand this, that you are not able to do these things with your own strength or to walk in the commandments of God and to serve him. You can't do any of this without God's special grace. So you must learn at all times to call for that grace through what? Sermons that stir you up and get you excited? Motivational speakers? No. Through prayer. What happens then? As the prophet says, when you pray, when you open yourself up, when you wait upon the Lord in expectation, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What an incredible image. You are picked up and borne aloft on eagles' wings. You're taken right out of that dark valley, and you're sore into the sky. An incredible image, and that is grace. So much sickness in this world in this dark valley of tears, and I'm thinking of depression and neurosis of all kinds, is brought about when we run out of steam, quite simply from trying to plow on in our own strength. Make our own way, follow our own path, that's when we get depressed. That's my take on it. And it is quite clear, although not quite yet to us in that state, that we are not doing or being or becoming what God has in mind for us. Why? Because we're not listening. Our soul is sick. Maybe we simply can't trust what God is asking us anymore. We heard the message and we don't want it. Or we are just too attached to the things that give us what God seemingly won't or can't all the addictions that substitute for God in our life, and there are more of them every year, it seems. So the conversation between we and God ends. We stop listening because we figure God has stopped speaking. We're running away from God. We run and run and we get nowhere like those dreams where you're running and running. We can't get away from God. We can't get out of earshot. And we cannot silence him. What does God send us? Loss. And loss does this. Now, loss probably started us on the run somewhere from him. But the book of Job provocatively suggests that loss, the loss of power, prestige, possessions, the loss of someone we love, the loss of our own health, is sometimes God's way of bringing us back to him. First, by slowing us down to a dead stop so that there's nowhere to run. We cry out. At last, we cry out to him. We throw up our arms and say, help. I am faint. I am weary. I am exhausted. I am on my face. This is the end of the road. And then, in the silence, before we can answer ourselves or some other do-gooder and well-wisher can come in with some kind of practical tip to get us out of this rut before any of that happens by some miracle and even before the echoing of our own cry of despair has died away his voice cuts in calling us again calling us again but not in condemnation now we hear the voice of Christ sitting where our conscience sat and unlike our conscience, which hounds us and drives us and gives us no peace, the voice of Christ says to us, My child, my beloved child, how precious you are to me. Come home, come back again to me. We hear that the still, small voice from which he had been running all along was always saying to us, I love you. You are mine no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. No power on heaven or earth will take you from me. Stop. Wait. Listen. And let me tell you this. If I were to start up some kind of ministry of healing, then it would be a ministry of listening of helping us help one another to hear, to wait, to attend, to stop the nervous energy, the tap, 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 the pebbles that rattle in the empty pod of our mind from turning over and over and over, always the same problems, running and getting nowhere, to slow right down, to stop, stop, Take a series of slow, deep breaths and listen. That's called prayer. That's called praying. You must learn at all times to call for that grace through prayer. So let's see if we can't just do that praying on our own. Minus the sickness, the breakdowns, the neuroses, the depression, before they get to us. I was blessed to go through a lot of this stuff before they could prescribe any kind of medication that would arrest the process. There's more to develop there, but I give thanks to God that I began to deal with all this stuff before anybody knew how to arrest it with some chemical. I'm not saying we don't need the chemicals and they're not a blessing, but we live with such fear of depression in this culture. We see something very natural as totally unnatural because we're supposed to be like this all the time. God never meant that for us. He meant there to be times when we stop and listen and say, okay, point me where to go next. If you're going to have a breakdown, have it as early as you can. That's my advice. (laughs) Sounds good? All right, we'll be a mega church yet. (laughs) The prayer of silence, then. And the church has been doing it for years. I've run into a little controversy on this recently, and I just want to say this word. Contemplative prayer, the prayer of utter emptying, of listening, Our yoga classes, if you'd like to go there, they're all about this very thing. Silence, letting the ripples still, understanding that God speaks to our souls and not just into our heads. How do you do that then? Just slow down, better stop. And stop when it matters. I'm telling this to myself now Don't do what I do, do what I say. You stop when it's most urgent, when it's going to cost you. You stop. Here's one way. In the middle of a busy day, just when you should be gearing up for a presentation in five minutes that's going to cost you your job, take a breath, or even better, pull out your little book of daily prayer and say the midday office, I challenge you, I challenge myself, and I mean it. And observe all the silences in your little book, Daily Prayer. Especially observe all the silences. Soon you will be seeing all these words, these lovely words, hallowed by time and our tradition, the words that are breathed by the communion of saints all chiming in. You will see all this inspired chatter as simply a structure for the silences, a framework for listening. Something as simple as this will lower your blood pressure and raise your spiritual temperature. Try it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen.